Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. So let's go ahead and do what we're doing today. We are continuing in a series called Once Upon a Marriage, and uh, I don't normally sit for a series, but uh, this one we thought we'd kind of tell its story, storytelling, and uh, I've decided to do that. And some of you are all like, do you, are you going to sit every Sunday? You're brand new here, and you don't know. But I'm going to sit and hang out and tell you a story today, and uh, let, me, let me just uh, ask this. Have you guys been enjoying the marriage series so far? You guys enjoying? Awesome. Good. That all ends today. That all ends today because this one's going to be a little bit of a tough message. You guys ready for a tough message? If you're ready for a tough message, give me a sock it to me. Say sock it to me. Now you remember that you asked for that, okay? Because this is a tough message, all right? So let's continue in this. Let me just ask a few light questions, light questions, easy ones, okay? Pay attention to what I'm saying. Listen. This is one of those things where you put your hand up if it's you, okay? You know, she's already going. You're so good. She's already got her hand up. She's ready. She's ready. How many of you ever plan, whether you're married or going to be married someday, how many of you ever plan on committing adultery? Hands up, hands up, hands up, hands up. Oh, no hands? Oh, okay. All right. All right. How many of you, whether you're married or going to be married someday, plan on uh, having children, and uh, five years later, you, you, you plan on having a nasty divorce. Anybody plan on that? Nobody plans on that. That's crazy. It, it's crazy that nobody plans on adultery or divorce. And yet, statistically, more than 50% of marriages will do, dissolve in divorce. 50% of, of married couples will commit adultery on each other. More than 50%. And that number goes up when you just look at church people. It's funny. We don't plan on these things, and yet they wind up happening anyhow. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you one of the reasons is, is because I think, and there's so many reasons, but this is one. I think society has done a horrible job of training us for marriage. I think they've done a really poor job. They've, They've actually done better at prepping us for divorce than they have trained us for marriage. Because if you think about our current dating scene, our dating scene is more preparing us for divorce than it is for, for marriage. Because, you know, if you think just a few years back, there used to be so many things in the dating scene that were taboo, things you didn't do, things that were reserved just for marriage. And now we, we, can, we do them. We do, we do them before we're married. You know, we, we share toothbrushes. You know, we, we bring a toothbrush and leave it at somebody's house. We stay the night. We give our bodies to each other. We, we move in together. We wind up getting bills together and getting a puppy together. We, we build lives around ourselves before we ever get married. And then when things get bad, when things don't go our way, when trouble comes along, we're splitsville. We pack our stuff. We have no commitments here. We pack our stuff because marriage doesn't mean anything to us. We get our stuff. We grab our toothbrush because we don't want to leave that behind. And we go. We pack up our broken hearts and go on. And we do this over and over and over again. It's very common as we're dating to join ourselves to somebody's life for a few years and then split. We're trained for divorce. 
We're not trained to stick it out. We're taught that it's all, all, you can just scrap it. You can just bail on it. It doesn't matter. It's okay to play house. It's okay to do these things. And when the relationship doesn't work, we practice leaving over and over and over again. We practice it. It's no wonder that ceremonies, the wedding ceremony doesn't really mean much to anybody anymore because it's not really a celebration of the next step. But I mean, what next step is there? Well, we just got married. It's not like you have to move in. You're already moved in. It's not like you have to build a life. The life is already built. There, there is no next step. And so a ceremony is just kind of a formality anymore. It's just like the thing that we do because, you know, somebody's, we're going to celebrate somebody's change in their last name. We've made it official. Marriage is, the value of it is slowly dwindled. It's become meaningless. And once married, they'll do what they practice doing while they're dating. When things get worse, because remember, you signed on, when you get married, you say in your vows, for better and for worse, in sickness and in health. And so when things shift from better to worse, and when they shift from health to sickness, we do what we practice doing. We bail. We, we just leave. We, we, we do what we're trained to do. And many of you here today, you will be married or you are married now. You're going to hit bumps in the road. It, you're, you're going to have worse days. And when you do, when that pain comes, you'll want to bail if you've practiced divorce over and over again. You, you'll want to do that. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a really painful but a really beautiful story from the Old Testament and I want to challenge you and encourage you. Here's the main thought that when there's a good reason for divorce, God has something different for you. When there's a good reason for divorce, God has something different for you. So our main characters in today's story from the Old Testament is found in the book of Hosea. And Hosea was a young prophet that God was raising up. And he marries a woman named Gomer. That's right. Her name is Gomer. Now, I imagine images of Gomer Pyle. We got any old people in here? You know what I'm talking about, right? No, you don't have to put your hands up. We see you. It's okay. But you know who, but you know who Gomer, Gomer Pyle is, right? And so, but, but Gomer is the girl in this, in this story. So just track with me here. And so this is the story of Hosea and Gomer, or Homer, as it were. You know, we got Brangelina. We got Hosea and Gomer. All right. Well, first service thought that was really funny. The context of the story, what's happening, this is about 760 B.C., okay? And Jeroboam II was king of the northern uh, kingdom of Israel, and they are going through a time of great prosperity, all right? Th this is a time where there's an economic boom, things are going really well in, the, in the, the nation, and everybody's happy. Now, the problem is, is when things tend to go well economically and there's prosperity, moral and spiritual things tend to decline, it just, it's just the way things go. And so God raises up Hosea, the prophet, to speak to the people to hopefully draw their hearts back to himself, to, to God. And so God asked Hosea, the prophet, to do something a little insane. All right, track with me here. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, the verses will be up on the screen, or if you want to follow along in your Bibles, you can, or your Bible apps. It says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take to yourself an adulterous wife. Push pause for just a second. In case you don't know what this means, this adulterous wife, basically the woman he's supposed to take as a wife, um, if you know the song Wild Thing by Tone Loke, she's the one that gets paid $50, okay? She's a prostitute, basically. 
He says, I want you to go and I want you to find a prostitute and marry her. All right, unpause. Take to yourself an, an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery and departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of the blame, and she conceived and bore him a son. So why would God tell this prophet to marry a prostitute? Why, why would he do that? Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, that there's many times in the Bible where we see God asking prophets to do things that were symbolic or metaphors of what was happening in the land of Israel, okay? And, and, and so this is one of those. This story has multiple layers. We're going to see the story between Hosea and Gomer play out, but we're also going to see a story that God uses their situation to speak to of the relationship between God and a spiritually adulterous people. Basically, he's talking about us, his people. He, he's talking about us, and as we sin, how we commit spiritual adultery against him. And so we'll see that play out. Now, if I were to put Homer, or sorry, yeah, Homer's marriage, Hosea and Gomer's marriage, into today's context, Hosea's like a preacher guy, okay? And God tells him to go and marry Gomer, and he's like, this is going to be an awesome thing. God told me to do it. Why would he tell me to do something that's bad for me? So he says, I'm going to go and do this. This is going to be great. And she's just excited that she's got a guy. Because remember, she's a prostitute. She's like, this guy's interested in me, and he's not interested in that one thing that Lauren Hill talks about. You know what I mean? That thing, that thing, that thing, that thing. Some of y'all feel me right here. You got me right in the heart, and you understand. She's just excited that he likes her for her. He's happy, or she's happy. And so they have a wedded, uh, a blissful wedding. They go to Hawaii on their uh, honeymoon, and they lay out on the beach. They get a little overzealous on their honeymoon, and she gets pregnant. They come back, and they're celebrating the pregnancy, and they go to the, ho to the doctor's office and get an a, uh, ultrasound done, and they're checking things out, and as time goes by, they can see that there's a stem on the apple, and they're having a boy. They're so excited. The baby is, is, is coming soon, and so they're painting the room blue and getting it all prepared. Everything's going to be awesome. It's this dream marriage. And many of you know what I'm talking about. Unfortunately, what happens, or we assume happens in their relationship, is that Hosea gets a little distracted. He gets, maybe he gets a little busy with his ministry. Maybe he takes up a hobby, and he's playing poker with the guys a little too much, or when we're not really sure what happens, but we certainly understand that Gomer has a very interesting response to his absence, his lack of attention that he's giving to her because she feels like there's something missing. She's depressed. She's letting herself go. She's not getting out of the sweatpants anymore or doing her hair anymore. She's feeling a little neglected because he's not taking care of her needs. He's not spending time talking to her. He's not investing in the relationship the way that he should. And one day, an old BF reaches out to her on FB. Now, for you old people, that's boyfriend reaches out to her on Facebook. That's all text speak, right? I'm old too. I just, I'm just telling you, I, I learned that on the internet this week. <laughs> Maybe she gets a message from him. And in the middle of this feeling neglected by her own spouse, that's exciting to her. That's alluring to her. Or maybe it's somebody at the gym who just, it's a trainer and he compliments her. Or maybe it's a coworker that, that buys her a gift or small presents every now and then, tells her that she's special. 
Or maybe it's just that the mailman's coming by one too many times. We're not really sure what happened, but we do know this, that she buys into a lie that many of us believe. And that lie is this, if you're taking notes, what I'm missing is better than what I have. What I'm missing is better than what I have. Look what it says in Hosea 2.5. It says, she said, talking of Gomer, I will go after my lovers. Now that's plural for all those of you that are reading that. This could be old boyfriends, new relationships. I'm going to go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Stuff. They give me stuff. They give me the stuff that I'm missing. And what she does is she trades, unwisely so, the 80 for the 20. And she begins chasing after these other relationships, not just a singular one. Multiple. Because she believes the lie that what she is missing is better than what she has. Now, what's this 80-20 stuff? Well, in in every marriage, the, the average marriage... 80% of your needs are going to be met by your spouse because your spouse cannot be, is not perfect. They're not going to meet 100% of your needs. In the best marriages, 80% of your needs will be met, 20% will go unmet. And so what Gomer is doing is she's trashing the 80% that Hosea is is providing for her and she's chasing after the 20. She says, what I'm missing is better than what I currently have. Some guy's listening to her, some guy's bought her gifts, some guy has better income or promised her more stuff. Whatever it is, she's pursuing what she's missing. For guys, look how this would play out in your world. Maybe you'd say, well, she doesn't tear me down or, you know, she, it's more exciting to be with her, you know, because it's, it's forbidden sex and you can't have forbidden sex with your spouse because that's all allowable, you know, so it's exciting. Or, or maybe it's, it's that, you know, she watches Sports Center with me and that's what I'm missing in my life. And so I want to scrap my marriage for the woman that'll watch Sports Center with me. You trade the 80 for the 20. Because we foolishly believe that what we're missing is better than what we have. Many of you know someone who has done this. You you know, maybe it was a parent, maybe it's a friend, co-worker. And no matter what you tell them, they believe that the grass is greener on the other side. And it's just simply not true. It's a lie. The grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is always greener where you water it. Some of you all ought to be writing that down, tweeting it, Facebooking it, all that. The grass is not greener on the other side. In fact, if you get close enough to the grass that you think is greener, you're going to find that there's poop in their backyard too. Hello? It's there. Just because you can't smell it from where you're standing doesn't mean it ain't there. If you want your grass to be greener, invest in it. Nobody who invests in their relationship feels like something else is going to be better. It it just doesn't happen. Not if you invest. But I understand. Life happens. We get distracted. We lose sight of what's important. And we believe a lie that what we're missing is better than what we have. And this is exactly what Gomer did. She went out. She met guys. She partied. Chased after lovers and guys that would give her things. Much to Hosea's dismay. And she got pregnant as a result, twice. And God begins speaking into the situation, 
And on their first child, God says, listen here, Hosea, this is what you're going to do. I know that baby looks an awful lot like the mailman, so what you're going to do is this. You're going to name that child Lo-Rahuma. Lo-Rahuma. See, when they gave names back then, it meant something. Their name meant something. And this first child's name, this daughter, meant unpitied, unloved by the true father. That's what that name meant. And then Gomer has a second child as a result of adultery. And God says, I want you to name her Lo-Ami. Lo-Ami. And what it means is no kin of mine. And as you see this play out, remember, we're, we're looking at the parallel between Hosea and Gomer and God and his people. You begin to see God saying, hey, are you seeing the, the, the contrast here? As my people continue to reject me, as my people continue to commit spiritual adultery, as they continue to reject my ways and all my goodness and my blessing, you can kind of begin to hear the hurt in God's voice. You can begin to hear the pain that, that he's expressing when his people reject him over and over and over again. If you've ever been cheated on, you understand this pain. You know it. And God is feeling cheated on. He's feeling cheated on because his people are committing spiritual adultery. And as you read this book, you kind of get a sense of God's hurt that he experiences when we cheat. How he feels when we abandon him and pursue ourselves and pursue our own interests. And watch what happens in this verse, because you're going to see that God has a bit of a fit. It's kind of this anger at first. It's this hurt that he expresses. It's this jealousy that comes through. And honestly, if we're considering who God is, he has every right to be angry, hurt, and jealous, because he's God. He's God, and he wants all of our hearts. So take a moment to look at God's heart for a moment to see his response to this spiritual adult, adultery because there's two ways that he responds. And it's important that we look at this because there are people even here today that are, that are sinning grievously against the heart of God. And it, I want you to understand his response to that in your life. The first thing is his response is a righteous anger. It's a righteous anger. Now there's, we have unrighteous anger, which is sinful in its nature and hurtful and painful. And then we have this righteous anger, which is the proper way to respond. And God, speaking to the people of Israel, says this in chapter 2, verse 8. He says, this is God speaking of Israel. He says, she has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold. Therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens, and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her nakedness. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers and no one will take her out of my hand. What is God saying? What is he saying? All these things that he just listed are benefits of the relationship with him. Hey, if you're in relationship with me, I'll provide all of these things for you. But if you'd like to not be in a relationship with me, I'm going to go ahead and lift my hand. I love you, but I'm going to go ahead and just show you what life is really like without me. I'm going to go ahead and remove the blessing from your life. And if you want to keep on doing this without me, then go for it. If you want to do marriage without me, go for it. See if you like it. Now, why would he do this? Because he's a jealous God. He wants to be first in your heart. He doesn't want us pursuing other, 
other idols. He doesn't want us worshiping other things before we worship him. He has to be number one. This is why Jesus is called Lord. He is Lord of our lives. And God is saying, look, he's saying to us, to our marriages today, that if we want to do marriage without him, go for it. If you want to do life without him, go for it. If you want to do it without his blessing, you want to do it without his spirit, comforting, guiding, and leading you through your marriage and teaching you how to, how to live with each other and how to forgive one another and be a blessing to one another. You want to do all that, then go for it. He said, I'll just lift my hand. I'll take away the blessing. Many people are living this way today. And they constantly are reaching out to me because their relationship is in turmoil. Because they're living the life the way they want to. They're not living their life in a God-honoring way. And they call me and say, hey, can you pray for our relationship? It's really struggling. And I'm like, why? Why would I ask God to bless something that he's already said he's not going to bless? Why would I? It's, it's pointless. It's nothing but hot air at that point. Lord, could you bless this relationship that's just living in sin? Amen. Thank you. That's, why, would, why would he bless that? He's, he's not going to. We want the blessing, but we don't want the relationship. And the relationship is that he is Lord, that he is first in our heart. It doesn't work that way that we get the blessing without the relationship. It just doesn't work that way. And so as we look at this verse, we also see it kind of wraps up with this sense of possessiveness. God's got this righteous anger where he's like, I'm going to withdraw my blessing from you. Not my love, but my, my blessing is going to be withdrawn. And I'll let you see if you like that for a while. But just know that I'm not going to let anybody take you from me. That's how he ends that verse. I'm not going to let anybody take her from me. I, I won't let that happen. Nobody will take her from me. And, and in our own marriages, in our own relationships, it's okay to have this righteous anger. This righteous anger that says, not today, Satan. Not today. You're not going to get my marriage today. Nope, that's not happening. He's mine. She's mine. We made a covenant before God, and though it's been broken, not today. You don't get to win. We're going to fix this thing. We're going to see this thing through. We're going to honor our covenant before God. It's this possessiveness. It's okay. It's this righteous anger, and there's nothing wrong with a little righteous anger. Because God may say to you, just because you have grounds for divorce does not mean that you should give up that easily. And so God's response to our spiritual adultery is at first this righteous anger. But we see that God doesn't leave this anger in place very long. No, that he removes his hand from his blessing. But as you continue to read, there's this sudden shift in his attitude. There's this sudden shift in his demeanor and response. And just as fast as he was angry, he quickly demonstrates... The, his second response, which is his unfailing love. His unfailing love for you. That's never removed from you. He may not bless our waywardness. He may not bless our sinful decisions and our selfishness. But he never stops loving us. It is unfailing. In verse 14, he says, Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I'm going to draw her in. I'm going to try to get her back. He says, I will lead her into the desert. Push pause. The desert is a dry place. The desert's an uncomfortable place. The desert is a place where there's no, there's no bed. There's no holiday inn. There's no continental breakfast. There may not even be any water. There's going to be wild animals and a relentless beating of the sun. It is not a comfortable place. 
He says, I'll take her there, though. I'll lead her to that dry place. Why? So that they'll long for better days. They'll long for refreshing. They'll long for his presence and his blessing again. And he says, I will speak tenderly to her. I'm going to take her to a place where they're not comfortable. I'm going to speak tenderly. I'm going to try to lure them back. And there I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. If you have your Bible or if you're taking notes, do you know what the word Achor translated means? Trouble. I will make the valley of trouble a door of hope. Isn't that interesting? Now, you know, there's two ways to have a great marriage, to have the best marriage. You ready for them? The first way is don't sin. Let it sink in. Don't be selfish. Love each other as God loved you. Don't sin. Now, since nobody's going to fall in that category, the second way to have a great marriage is to walk through the valley of trouble until you find hope. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, what it means is you don't do everything right. It means you sin against each other. It means you lie. You betray. You hurt. You do things that are mean. You say things you don't mean. And then you come to each other and you humble yourselves. You confess. You ask for forgiveness. You give forgiveness. You pray, you cry some more. And then somewhere down the road, you sin again against them. You confess, you cry, you pray, you cry some more, and then wash, rinse, repeat. This is what it looks like to walk through the valley of trouble. Because we've got trouble. We're hemmed in by trouble on all sides whether it's between you and your spouse, whether it's pressures on the job, whether it's related to parenting, financially, other relationships, physically, mentally, spiritually, socially, there's all kinds of trouble that hems us in. And what are we going to do when we get into trouble? We're supposed to walk through that valley of trouble together. We're supposed to grab hands and walk through that trouble together as we pursue God. Why? Because we find hope there. Some of the best marriages have walked through the valley of trouble. And I mean through. I don't mean they hit some bumps and then they split. I mean they walked through that difficult time. And there's tons of marriages that have gone through betrayal in this room. Deceit, rejection, adultery, pornography, some difficult things that they have faced. And when those people walk through those things together with God, they come out the other side stronger. They come through and find a door of hope when they do it together pursuing God. If you'll do that together, you'll find hope. You will find hope. Now the challenge is, is sometimes your spouse isn't going to go with you through that valley. They don't want to. They won't participate. Your job in those situations is to walk through that valley pursuing God with your hand out waiting patiently for your spouse to join you. Just wait. 
then walk through it with God. Don't let go of him. Some of you today, you're in that valley of acor. You're in that valley of trouble. And you're experiencing that, and you're struggling to have hope. And I want to, my encouragement to you today is that there is always hope with God. Hold fast to him. Now, as we go back to our story, God says something rather amazing to a man who's been really faithful to Gomer. He's been faithful, and uh, she's been nothing but unfaithful. And so God has this message for Hosea to Gomer. And, uh, and, and what I want to do at this time today is Baptism Sunday. If you're getting baptized today, I want to go ahead and dismiss you so you have just a few minutes to get um, prepared for what we'll do here at the end of service. Ryan will meet you out there in the foyer to give you some instruction. But as we fast forward in this story, we'll see that, that Gomer has full-on just left. Now, she left him before relationally. She was still in the house. You know, they had kids. To, they had, she had those two kids. Then she had stepped out on him before, but they were still living together. But when you fast forward the story, you find that she's full-on gone now. Gomer's gone. And she's out living a life. And she winds up in a very difficult position. She's, she's been shown love over and over again by Hosea, and now she's rejected it. And she's got herself so tangled up in this lifestyle that she now is caught back in a life of prostitution. In fact, the Bible says she has a pimp. Basically, she has a debt she cannot pay. She has a debt she can't pay, and so she's surrendered to this guy who is now just pimping her out. And God gives a clear and challenging and yet profound message to Hosea, this betrayed spouse. And here's what it is if you're taking notes. He says, forgive and love as you've been forgiven and loved. Hmm. That's not easy. I told you this was a tough message. Forgive and love as you have been forgiven and love. Now, for me personally, I'd be like, no way. At this point, if I'm Hosea, it's no. Yeah, hold on, I got something for you, God. It's in my pocket. It's a whole bunch of nope. It's not happening. I don't think I could do that. I married a prostitute in the first place. She's had babies with two other guys. She's already left me. I'm not doing this. I don't have it in me. She's rejected me. It hurts too much. Nope, 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 nope. That's me. I would be nope. And yet God says something to him, though. He says, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. And my response to God in this moment would be how. How am I supposed to do that? I wouldn't have the emotional strength. I wouldn't have the skill set. I would lack everything that was needed in order to do that. And God answers him with this. He says, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. Oh, here's the parallel. Hosea, I want you to love Gomer the same way that I love these adulterous people. I want you to love her the same way I love my children, the same way he loves us. And that is with an unfailing love. He wants us to forgive and love as we have been forgiven in love. And so he sends Hosea to do this. To love her in an undeserved way. Though, she, though she's continued to pursue other men and is now caught in a, in a trap of her own device. Her own making. He says, I want you to go and love her. Now we'll bring it home just for a minute to where you and I live. 
God's saying, I, I want you to love her. I want you to trust me, but I'm not going to give you any guarantees. See, it doesn't come with a guarantee that she's going to respond to this love. It doesn't come with a guarantee that if you walk through the valley of trouble, waiting on your spouse to join you, that they'll join you. What it takes to do that in those moments is to surrender the lordship of your life to him fully. You've got to get off the throne of your own heart. You've got to stop playing God and just trust him. And as you trust him, you wait. And you have hope. And that, that, that's one of the hardest things to do. And yet this, this is the call. This is the call. It is clear that we are to forgive and love as we have been forgiven and loved. And we don't like that. Now let me be clear and tell you that forgiveness doesn't mean that you're a doormat. It doesn't mean that because you forgive and you reconcile that things don't need to change. Because if there's been unfaithfulness, it is likely that you need to change your life cycles, your habits, where you go. Maybe somebody, the un person that was unfaithful needs to change a job if it was somebody that they were working with. If it was pornography, maybe it's time to get the computers out of the house or at least get accountability software so that it doesn't happen. It doesn't mean that things don't have to change. It means that they should. As you reconcile, that's expected. But you don't have to be a doormat for that person to continue to hurt you over and over again. What forgiveness does mean is that regardless of what your spouse does, you do what God asks, even though there's no guarantee. And that's the hardest part of the story. You thought that the wound or the pain of being betrayed and cheated on was painful. Imagine the bitterness that has overtaken his heart and his life, the anger that he feels, the pain that he feels from that betrayal, and he must rip it out of his own chest and surrender it to God. It's undeserved. She doesn't deserve it. And he deserves better. And yet, the call is to forgive and love as we've been forgiven and loved. That's, that's the hardest part. And I don't know where you're at in your marriage right now, but it could be that God is saying divorce is not your option. Now, I'm not here to bring any condemnation on you if you're going through a divorce right now, if you're going through a difficult situation. I'm not here to make you feel bad or guilty because, look, honestly, sometimes people get divorced because there's one person it takes two, right? There's one person that is determined to not walk through the valley of trouble. And when that happens, people get divorced. I'm not saying that God is blessing that. I'm just saying sometimes there's nothing you can do. You can pray and hope and it will still happen. But you choose to go down with a fight. You choose to honor God by doing the right thing, by loving and forgiving God's challenge to us is show for yourself righteousness in verse 12. Righteousness is right living, doing it his way. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. 
and break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. The many of you sitting here today, you may look at me and think that I'm speaking to you kind of looking down and saying, I got it all together because I'm the guy with the microphone. The truth is, is that's not true. My wife and I have walked through many valleys of trouble together. Trouble that I've caused, trouble that she's caused, trouble that life has caused. I mean, I don't know if you've got teenagers, but I got three of them. All of them at the same time, and I love them dearly. They are amazing, but they are not perfect. I love my wife. She's as close to perfect as she can get, but she's not perfect. And me, I'm just a, I'm just a mess up. I'm a I make all kinds of mistakes. We don't have a perfect marriage. And the stress of having three teenagers who are figuring out who they are, and some days you think they're just going to kill each other and the house is going to explode. It was last week, my wife and I looked at our kids and said, bye, we leaving. They said, where are you going? We said, away from you. A couple hours later, we came back refreshed and felt amazing. We were ready to love our children again begin to understand in those times why some, some animals eat their young, you know? <laughs> the stress of having a church, you know, I, I don't know what I'm doing from day to day. I'm following Jesus as he leads me. I've made many mistakes along the way. I've hurt people too, and I don't mean to do that. The the pain that comes from hurting someone is it's never my goal. Mistakes that you make along the way, the spiritual weight of being the pastors of a church, that weighs on my marriage. I have physical issues too, and that weighs on my marriage from my back to my tailbone. That's a, that's a weight and a stress on us. We've walked through difficult times, assault on our family. Because we get put on a pedestal. Like we got it all together. People are critical of us. It's hard. We don't have the perfect marriage. So I don't sit here in a place of telling you that we haven't been in difficult places. We have. But we grab hands and we say, we're going to make it through this together. We're going to do this as we follow God. We don't understand. We don't like the valley of trouble. Nobody likes it. Nobody asks for trouble. I don't know anybody that I've ever met that, that has gone through any of these things in their life through the valley of trouble and said, man, that was great. Sign me up for five more of those, please. Nobody. But I know those people that have walked through the valley of trouble and found that doorway of hope. That as they've pursued God and honored him with their lives, their decisions, that they've said what an incredible blessing it was to walk through that valley together. To find that this most precious gift on the other side of, side of it is something we call redemption. This is where God takes that mess and makes it your message. And this is what he does. This is what he does. He redeems us. And so today, the end of our story is that God sends Hosea after his wife. 
And he doesn't just send her to stand outside of her window and say, I love you. Throw rocks at her, hold up a jukebox. Like you're John Cusack. Is that right? It was John Cusack, right? Yeah, I've got a confirmation. It's not what he does. He sends him after her to buy her back from prostitution. See, she's caught in a life cycle that she can't get out of because she can't pay the price. And so he sends her to buy her back. Not pay for a conjugal visit. He's buying her back from the pimp. Pays for his wife. And again, here's this beautiful picture of what God does for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we were paying him any mind, before we got tired of, of, of living a life of waywardness, God paid the price for us so that we could be redeemed. We could be bought back because of our spiritual prostitution. He said, I'm going to pay for it. Jesus shed his blood just so that that would happen. Now, we have no idea how Hosea and Gomer's story ends. We don't, we don't know. There's no record. We just know that's what he was sent out to do. But you have to imagine that a man that pays that kind of price, after all she's done to him, how could she not return to him with all of her heart and all that she has? How could she reject that? It's the same when you consider what God did through Christ for us. How could we not respond to what he's done with anything less than surrendering our whole lives to him? When we consider what he's done, when we see what he did for us, when we consider how he hurts, when we spiritually prostitute ourselves out. God wants us to not only know him, and I don't mean just know the name God, he wants you to know him in an intimate way. And he wants you to know his unfailing love for you today. That's what he wants for you. And for many of us, that'll come as we walk through that valley of trouble. Others of us, if you're not on that journey, it begins today for you. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that, uh, that you would give us a sense of hope and not confusion or guilt or shame. That today, Lord, for many of us that are walking through the valley of trouble, Lord, that you, you would teach us to put our faith in you. Whether that valley of trouble is financial, relational, spiritual, physical, in our parenting, in our career, whatever valley that we're walking through today, God, if it's in our marriage, I pray that we would be able to grab hands and pursue you with all of our hearts and our lives today. And that we would have hope. Hope restored to us, Lord. God, and I pray that as we decide to do things your way, that you would begin to bless us. Lord, restore your blessing back to our lives. Be with us today in Jesus' name. And as we continue to pray, there are those of you here you don't have a relationship with God and 
You don't know who he is. You don't know his unfailing love, and yet today you're hearing how much he loves you. And let me share with you, this is your opportunity to come to know him. Because see, I believe that God will allow you to walk through stations of life that are difficult. It's like hitting rock bottom. He'll allow you to do that so that he can get your attention. And once he has your attention, he wants to allure you. He wants to draw you in with his love by letting you know he doesn't care what you've done, he doesn't care where you've been, he doesn't care what your past has been like, he wants you to know him and know his love for you. He's quite fond of you. And so today he is calling out to you, and many of you feel that in your heart today, that he is drawing to you today, and what he's inviting you into is a relationship with him through his son, Jesus. See, Jesus came and paid a price for our sins. We can't pay it on our own. The Bible says we can't. The wages of our sin, or the the payment for our sin, the penalty of our sin is death. And Jesus said, I'll pay that, that price. So God sent Jesus here to live a perfect, sinless life, to shed his blood on the cross as he was brutally murdered, to raise from the dead three days later, all so that you and I could be forgiven, all so that you and I could be redeemed. And he says, look, this is my demonstration of love for you. I'll buy you back from the mess you've made of your own waywardness and of your own devices. Today, to receive that gift... All you have to do is ask Jesus to be Lord of your life. It begins a journey. Begins a journey of you following him and learning how to live for him. If you're ready to make that commitment today, I'm ready to pray with you. You say, Aaron, I don't know the words. That's okay, I'll give them to you. I'm gonna pray a prayer in a moment. If you wanna be counted in on that prayer, nobody's looking around, nobody's gonna make fun of you. In fact, we're gonna celebrate with you in just a moment. Celebrate you taking a step towards God. If you wanna be counted on that prayer, say yes to Jesus. Would you just slide your hand up and say, Aaron, that's me today, right now. Just do it right now. Yeah, come on. There's more people. There's more of you. Be bold. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Is there anyone else? Say, today is the day. I'm going to make that decision. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to get there, but I I trust that he has a plan. That's you. I'm going to give you one last shot because I just feel it in my heart like I'm supposed to. I don't normally do this. Is there anybody else that would say yes to Jesus today? Would you slide your hand up now? I'm going to pray this prayer. And and church, can we all pray together so nobody's praying alone? Say, Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you came to this earth. You laid down your life. Died on the cross. And rose from the dead three days later. I believe you did all this for me. Forgive me, Jesus. I surrender my life. Would you give me your life? Show me how to live for you, and I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.